0: between Middle and the sea in front of baal Zephon. You shall camp opposite it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has closed in on them. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them so that I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed toward the people and they said, what have we done letting Israel leave our service?" So he had his chariots made ready, and took his army with him. As Pharaoh Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in this wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Wonderful. Well this summer we've been following Moses as as uh, God has shaped him in his time of Egypt in his time in Egypt and then in the wilderness and then to lead the people of Israel out of slavery through the wilderness and to the promised land and last week you remember we looked at the plagues the 10 plagues of Egypt uh, and the great night of Passover when the night that the Jewish people would always remember as the time when God delivered them out of slavery uh, and into freedom. And of course as Christians last week we celebrated the Lord's Supper and so we remember Jesus the new Moses who freed us from the bondage of to sin and death on the cross and so we remember Uh, last week was all about remembering. And quickly we come to see that the Israelites have already forgotten something pretty important. So as the story goes, Pharaoh finally caved. And he said, all right, you guys, get out of here. We don't want to have anything to do with you. Go and worship your God out in the wilderness. Go. And he kicks them out. So they had been set free without so much as of a sword or an arrow fired. And now I want to give you kind of a sense of how the next part of the journey unfolds so we come to the Red Sea Uh, the Israelites they make their way out of the Capital of Egypt and to the Red Sea, but it probably wasn't the Red Sea. In Hebrew, we read Yom Suf, which means Sea of Reeds, and there are not any reeds that grow along the shores of the Red Sea. They grow along small little lakes in that region um, during that time. So let me just show you a map of what we've been looking at the last um, several weeks. So here's Egypt, and here's the Nile River running down through that, the Nile River Delta up at the north. The capital of Egypt at this time is P. Ramses. Um, So you might remember that this is over 40 years after Moses had left Egypt the first time and goes to the wilderness. He comes back to set them free. There's a different pharaoh um, who is leading it, and now we we. Most scholars seem to to agree that it was probably King Ramses II, the most famous of all the pharaohs of Egypt, was likely the one um, during the time of Moses and the Exodus. Mainline scholars date this uh, event around 1200 BC. So you can see by the little red line there that the um, Hebrews, they make their way southeast um, or Yeah, is that right? Southeast. And then they turn and they start to head north. Let's look at a little closer um, version of the map. So they go southeast. They spend the night there. The next morning they begin to head back towards the north. And some of the Egyptians think that they're confused, that they're lost, that the wilderness has closed in on them, the text says. And Pharaoh has a change of heart. He says, "You know what? Who am I to let these people go? You know, we were making good money off them. They're not even going to make their way through the wilderness. Let's go and get them back." And so Pharaoh calls his charioteers together. Six hundred chariots. This is the most amazing uh, fighting force in that period of time in the Bronze Age. If you had chariots, you had a nuclear weapon. They were the they were the the fighter. before fighter planes existed and you were able to destroy your enemies. Nobody could touch Pharaoh's armies with all of his 600 chariots. So he calls his charioteers together and uh, they make their way towards the Israelites and they start to go after them. And we can picture what this looks like because you might remember that Pharaoh uh, had petroglyphs of himself fighting in battle all over the temples. And so here's the Karnak Temple. We looked at this at the first week and here's a petroglyph of King Ramses, Pharaoh Ramses II, on his chariot, the horse leading him. He's about to slash that person down below. Uh, We even uh, know what the chariots looked like because when King Tut's tomb was found there were six chariots placed inside that tomb and this is one of them in a museum in Egypt Um, and so it's obviously been you know restored and preserved but we pretty much know what they looked like and how they worked and so they come the Israelites they come and they're camped in front of a lake so here's the final map that we'll look at today Um, you can see that there is these three there are these three circles and those are Those are designated, those are essentially generic drawings that I drew of where lakes were in that region at the time. The red line that runs down through them is the Suez Canal. So the lakes that were there thousands of years ago have now been swallowed up by the Suez Canal. So it's most likely that the Hebrews camped somewhere around there at the edge of one of these lakes on the Suez Canal that then goes down into the Red Sea. So there is a sea of reeds there and the Israelites are now stuck, right? Behind them is a large body of water and in front of of them are all the chariots of Egypt, the armies coming right after them. Uh, And so what do they do? They don't get very far on this hard road before they run into this major first obstacle. Imagine being in the entourage. What would you do? What are you going to do? I mean, you, you know what slavery is like. You've experienced that before as an Egyptian in Pharaoh's rule. It's horrible. It's torturous. But, but you can survive. You can kind of cope. You've coped with slavery before. But you've also seen the power of God deliver you with the plagues out of the hands of Pharaoh. And so you know that there's new life waiting uh, aw- away from the misery of the past. But it's uncertain. So what do the Israelites do? The text tells us that in great fear, they cried out to the Lord. This is what they said. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? A little sarcasm in there, you know? Are there better graves out here in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't And here's the thing that they don't remember correctly. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, let us alone... And let us serve the Egyptians. Leave us alone that we might serve the taskmaster. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites. Uh, Okay, we're going to look at that one in a minute. But did you notice that? They're claiming, so the Israelites are claiming that when Moses and Aaron first went in to deliver them from Pharaoh, that they essentially said to Moses and Aaron, you know, we're doing pretty good here. Uh, We kind of like it. We're we're used to it. If you could just leave us alone, that we would serve our taskmasters. That's what they're saying happened. But is that what really happened when Moses and Aaron went and said, let's go, guys, we're going to deliver you? Actually, this is what happened. If you turn back to chapter 4, Moses and Aaron brought together all of the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. Remember the staff and the snake and the leprosy and the hand and all of that stuff? He performed that uh, before the people and they believed. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. So when Moses and Aaron first came, they bowed down in worship. They said, yes, this is an amazing God. Let's get out of here. And now they've gotten out of there. They're facing their first obstacle, those chariots coming their way, the armies coming their way, and they're saying, actually, we liked it better. We never really thought we wanted to leave in the first place. Why did you bring us out here? So fear has clouded their thinking and their memory. There's a real threat that they're facing, and, and that's kind of what fear does. It prepares us to face danger. Once we sense a potential danger, our body releases hormones that do a couple of things. One thing is that they, they kind of slow or they shut down certain processes that you don't really need in a time in a moment of survival, like your digestive system might kind of slow down when you're gripped by fear in the face of danger. Another thing that these hormones do is that they, they actually sharpen some of the functions that will help you in the time of danger. So your eyesight might get a little sharper. Your heart rate increases, which sends blood to your muscles so that you can run faster or punch harder if you're defending yourself against a threat. Our body also increases the flow of hormones to an area of the brain that many of you know much better than I do, known as the amygdala. And it helps us to focus on the danger. And so the downside, though, of that fear is, is that it can also interrupt processes in our brains that allow us to regulate emotions and that allow us to reflect before acting and to act ethically. And so it challenges, fear challenges our ability to think Clearly, it impacts our decision-making in negative ways, leaving us susceptible to these intense emotions, which is exactly what happened to the Israelites. The threat was real. Nobody could defeat Pharaoh's army, but the problem was for them that they forgot. They forgot the Lord. They forgot that God was fighting for them and had just delivered them, and fear took over. Um, So they thought they wanted to go back to Egypt as slaves in oppression. Of course they didn't want that. They just couldn't think straight. Leave us alone so that we might serve our taskmaster, they said. I want to pause here for a moment. Just to say that uh, one of the reasons that these stories in the Bible are, s- are so powerful and carry transforming power for us today is because we can so easily find ourselves in the stories of the characters, all the characters, the heroes, the bystanders, and even the villains. Candy Vila said to me a couple of weeks ago after the service, she, she said, Moses and Pharaoh live in each of us together. They coexist in each of our hearts and lives. We're complex human beings. Um, And so Moses and Pharaoh exist in each of us. And what does that mean? It means that sometimes we would prefer, like the Israelites, to serve our taskmasters too. If you linger here long enough, you can ponder what, what are the Pharaohs that we have befriended? For some, it's a credit card, right? Uh, It could be uh, frequent trips to the blackjack tables in Las Vegas. Uh, Websites, you know, are destroying your relationships you shouldn't be looking at. It can be workaholism, binge-watching Netflix, late-night ice cream or candy. For many people, I kind of touched on this last week, it's often the untreated wounds of our childhood or our earlier years someone hurt us someone did something to us that wounded us and and we've been carrying that wound licking that nursing that wound all along and it's ser- and serving its agenda and so it's not until we're able to go through the process of something like forgiveness um, that we're able to let go of some of these things I remember reading a book uh, it's kind of a fun book is called "Unstuff Your Life." It, it's um, it was about it's like one of those decluttering books about like organizing your house or for people who have lots of clutter and and uh, you know it's a challenge for people who have lots of clutter in their house to to organize their house because that's a real emotional process getting rid of things that you've held on to for so long. Uh, this is what the author Andrew Mellon writes about cluttered people. He says for any number of reasons we each resist change. It's okay. It seems to be part of the human condition. It's worth noting that as creatures of habit we would often prefer ineffective familiarity to effective unfamiliarity. If it means not having to change even change for the better. So the reason that so many people have uh, unwanted habits or addictions or wounds that they've carried for years and years is because we prefer uh, ineffective familiarity to effective unfamiliarity. And that's the problem with the Israelites. One one pastor, he, he put it like this, we prefer the misery we know to the mystery we do not. We human beings prefer the misery we know to the mystery we do not. So the Israelite statement is pretty natural, actually. Leave us alone that we might serve our taskmasters. At least it's familiar. At least we know it. Sure, we're not free. Sure, our lives are destroyed and without meaning or dignity, but it's familiar, right? But here's the good news. God isn't interested in helping us to cope with our own slavery and our own bondage. God is in the business of setting us free. And so out of sheer grace, God will drag us into the hard road to freedom. One day we, you might lose the job that was shaving away at your soul, but you didn't have the courage to leave. Or you might lose the money that wasn't giving you the security that You really thought it would. You might lose your external beauty that was never going to give you the self-esteem that you thought it would. Or you might lose the abusive boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse who was destroying your life and your dignity. One day you might lose your ability to please your taskmaster and this will come as a gift a gift of God's grace, but in order to receive it, we have to let go of the hurt that has become familiar. There's no other way. We all begin the journey to freedom, not because we choose it. It's too hard to choose. None of us would choose the wilderness. We begin because God intervenes and he parts the waters and he pushes us through. The journey begins by grace, but sometimes grace initially comes as a loss. You think you're losing your life, but really you're just losing your slavery. You're being set free. Moses then, of course, responds to these laments of the Hebrews, with, I think is uh, really the, the finest moment of his leadership. He doesn't walk out to Pharaoh and say, let's try to work out a compromise here we can work this out. He doesn't try to build a bridge um, as if he could sort of save the day. No, instead he does this. He says to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The people, they could only see Pharaoh's chariots. And this created fear. Fear makes us want to react. But what does Moses do? He says, keep still. I wonder how often we choose to keep still in the face of danger or some kind of a threat. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but when I find myself feeling anxious or something, I will often turn directly to my phone to sort of um, avoid the feeling of anxiety. We often turn to our task list when we're feeling overwhelmed with the number of things we have to do in the face of fear, in the face of threat, whatever disease, whatever it might be. Moses says, keep still keep still. And and this is what spiritual leadership is about. Uh, the, The Hebrews, they're only able to see the chariots. They can see the threat and only the threat. But the spiritual leader is able to see beyond the threat to the promise of God. Lift up your eyes and keep still. What I've realized in my own life is that I have to practice keeping still when I don't really need it. So like early in the morning and in the evening, the start of the day and at the end of the day, I try to practice uh, 10 minutes of contemplative prayer. Some call it mindfulness or meditation, but it is a practicing listening to God, practicing keeping still when you don't need to. And then what you find is that when you need to, slowly over time, after years of doing this, you find that the fear doesn't have as much control over your amygdala. And you can sort of step back and you can say and recognize there's fear, but then where is God? And then look for God. And so keep still keep still carve out time each day to practice keeping still it's not even the length of time it's the frequency of it just like any kind of habit that we practice here's what um, I I like what uh, old Charles Spurgeon said about this in a sermon that he preached in London in 1863 on this text he said I dare say you will think it a very easy thing to stand still But it is one of the postures which a Christian learns not without years of teaching. I find that marching and quick marching are much easier to God's warriors than standing still. It is perhaps the first thing we learn in the drill of human armies, but it is one of the most difficult to learn under the captain of our salvation. Forgive the war metaphors. The apostle seems to hint at this difficulty when he says... Stand fast, and having done all, stand still. To stand at ease in the midst of tribulation shows a veteran spirit, long experience, and much grace. If you're a Christian, you've already crossed over. God has dealt with sin and death, and all of your other problems are merely flea bites in comparison. That's how you deal with your flea bites, by not looking at them as massive problems, look at what god has already done for you and that's what moses does and has them do don't look at the chariots lift your eyes to the lord's deliverance and so that evening the sun sunset and the egyptian chariots they stop and they have the israelites pinned against The body of water, the sea of reeds, and the Israelites are terrified. And God says to Moses, lift up your staff. And he lifts it up over the water. When you raise it up over the water, watch and see what I'm going to do. And a strong east wind begins to blow and it blows all night long through the camp and when they wake up in the morning they can see the waters parted and Moses says let's go. And they start to make their way through on dry land and the chariots then go after them and when they make their way into the lake bed their chariot wheels get caught in the mud and they come apart and then the water comes crashing down. This is like Cecil D. LaMille at his best, if you've seen the Ten Commandments, right? You know, um, the crossing of the Red Sea. And all of a sudden, the, the, the most powerful fighting force on the planet uh, has been destroyed. By who? By Israel and Moses and their great strength? No, by, by God. By the power of God using nature to fight his battle, to bring justice and liberation to his people There were really two miracles that took place uh, here in this text. I don't know if you noticed it, but in the first miracle was in verse 19. There was a pillar of cloud, remember? The pillar of cloud that would guide and lead the Israelites through the wilderness. And it would go in front of them and lead them all the way. But when they camped at this night, the text says that the pillar of cloud shifted and it went behind them so that it got in between the Egyptians and the Hebrews. I think that's amazing. These two groups, the hunter and the hunted camped at the same camp all night long and nothing happened because the Lord had gotten between them. And then the parting of the Red Sea. These are the two miracles that the text claims. It's not our job to defeat our enemies. That's God's job. Our job is simply to just keep walking in freedom with the Lord. On the other side of the Red Sea, after all the excitement and the victory was over, they they turned and they looked at the Red Sea and they sang a song of victory and praise and thanksgiving to God. And then they turned around and they looked and they saw miles and miles and miles of barren wilderness. That they're about to continue to travel. Where are they going? They don't know. How will they survive? They have no idea. How long will this journey take? Much longer than they want. And why should they enter this wilderness? Because they don't have a choice if they want to live in freedom and neither do we. I think the whole of the Bible is simply this question, is God who he says he is? Is Yahweh of the Old Testament, is he really the creator? Is he really the redeemer? Is he really the bright and morning star? Is he really the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega? And if he is, then should I trust him? Because it's one thing for me to believe that there is a God out there who exists, It's an entirely different thing for me to stake my entire existence on this God who I can't see. And that's what the text is inviting us to do uh, as we follow the, the Hebrews through the wilderness, to stake our whole lives on this God who we cannot see based on the promise of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so now we remember today that in our baptism we too have crossed through the waters. The old life, with all of its fears and all of its comfortable misery, is behind you. Ahead of you is God's unfolding mystery for your life. But at this point in the journey, it's already clear, Pharaoh is dead. Your Pharaoh is dead. He has no power over you anymore. So that means... You can stop serving him today. God, we thank you. We thank you for Moses for this great story. We thank you that it is our story. And like the Hebrews, we recognize our own fears. And we see threats, and it's hard to live by faith. It's hard, it's hard to trust in your promise. The threats all around us, fires, COVID, job insecurities, ha- housing situations, Health, the the problems are, are endless, Lord. Help us to lift our eyes to you that we might live in freedom no matter where we find ourselves. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.